This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Listen, I'm sure you probably at some point wanted to learn to play a musical instrument, but you're just like, where do I even begin? Let this app called Musician be your personal music tutor. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument, and it listens to you as you play and then gives feedback on that accuracy and timing that you're doing. It's so, so cool. Become the musician you always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today. Do it, please. It's a great app. Now, here's the show. Happy November, and thank you for joining 100 Words or Less, the podcast, a deep discussion about independent music, why it's so important to us, why we are adults and we're still talking about bands, you know, the fun stuff, right? (laughs) I'm your host, Ray Harkins, eternally present on this this journey. We're at episode 327. When I say that, I'm like, I can't even believe that I've collected and spent this much time on one thing. I don't think, like, even with all of the band practices and shows I've attended. I don't know if I've spent more time doing this podcast or going to shows. It's wild to think that. But anyways, you came here to learn about people who are involved in independent music. And today is an incredible guest. This is actually a person who I've been pursuing for quite some time just through, you know, different friends being like, oh, you should talk to him. And I'm like, well, I've loved his band for a long time. Ben Nichols from Lucero. Lucero is such a good band, and they are so incredibly consistent, have been existing for uh, 15 plus years, I mean, if not longer, maybe even close to 20, I could be completely, you know, just just underserving their time spent in playing in a band, but just such a good band, and uh, Ben has always been an interesting front man, um, an interesting person, and I've wanted to dig deeper into him, because I mean, he comes from a artistic family, Uh, his brother is a very, very well-known director in Hollywood, and quite possibly one of my favorite directors around right now done movies like mud and midnight special take shelter and all of those movies i adore but anyways let's we'll we'll talk more 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 about ben in a moment but what i need you to do is i need you to go to rockabilia.com i need you to pick out some pieces of band merch and then i need you to put a code pc jabberjaw in to the checkout box and you will get 15 percent off can you do those things for me you can buy so many rad gifts for friends and family. Anybody who is a music lover, you will be able to find some pieces of merch on there that they've probably never seen. And you could just be like the coolest person. You know, say your uncle. Your uncle's like, oh dude, I'm like totally into Led Zeppelin. But then you're like, have you heard Greta Van Fleet? And then you get him a shirt and then he's like, oh my gosh, I found my new band. It's like, boom, there you go. I'm just giving you so many ideas. But Rockabilly is the real deal. Fast shipping, great customer service, so many choices of pieces of band merch. You have to do that, okay? Go to their website, check it out, buy some stuff, get 15% off, and then you'll thank me later. You'll be like, Ray, that was a really, really good idea. My uncle is stoked, or my aunt is stoked, or my grandma or grandpa is stoked because they got their favorite Beatles shirt, or whatever the case may be, okay? Just do it up, please. And uh, I... The, the series that we did last month, I can't thank you enough for all of the feedback, uh, positive and yeah, I mean, a few negatives. People were just like, oh yeah, that mailbag episode. Not sure about that, um, which is fine. I totally get it. It's not for everybody, but um, I really appreciate that feedback and thank you very, very much for following along in this little experiment that I like to do because, you know, when, we're, when I've been doing this for a long time, it's uh, kind of nice to change it up a little, little bit, a little bit. And uh, for those of you that reached out and are like, yeah, I'm feeling weird too. Life's weird, right? It's very strange. And like we're sitting 
on the eve. I'm actually recording this on Monday, so the day before the midterm elections that are happening this week around our country. And man, I just have this this like existential knot in my stomach where I'm just like, I want, I really wish I could fast forward to Wednesday so we could see what these results are. Because man, it's just, uh, I don't know, I'm nervous, I'm, I'm excited, there's so many things I am, and uh, I'm just, uh, I just, I want it to be over, you know? <laughs> I'm sure that many of you are, are in the same, uh, you know, chamber where you're just, just waiting, be like, man, I, I wish I could be locked up and just, just figure it out on Wednesday. But anyways, and if, if for whatever reason that you did not vote this time through, I really, really urge you to like, just, just really look deep in your soul to figure out why the reasons why you are not active in this this system that we have. And granted, there are people who are like, yo, capitalism's the worst. I don't want to vote. I don't want to contribute to that. I understand that. I don't agree with many pillars of what capitalism is is all about, but uh, there's only one way to change it, and that's if you participate in the system, okay? I truly, truly believe that. So um, yeah, if you want to have a discussion about that, email me, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. But anyways, Ben Nichols, like I said, just just a really good guy. I loved this conversation. This got set up through uh, his publicist and his record label and like so many official channels. And sometimes I feel, I mean, you know, that's how these things happen. But then when I'm on the uh, when I'm on the the phone with these people or I'm meeting up with them in face to face, it's like you know all that just peels away. And I'm like, oh man, I'm, I'm really glad we could we could catch up and talk about stuff because uh, I could tell that uh, people weren't prying into his uh, hardcore and punk past <laughs> because that is very much where Lucero existed in and still continues to exist in, even though the band has, you know, gone on to much larger and bigger things than that. So anyways, I will let this uh, conversation take it away. And I will talk to you, of course, after the episode is over, where I'll set up next week's episode. If you don't know the, the drill now, but anyways, here's Ben. I will talk to you later. I was aware of Lucero prior to that much further West coming out, but it was one of those things like that record, you know, really grabbed me and I know grabbed a lot of people. Um, and it, you know, I, I, I'm a punk and hardcore kid. So that's like the scene that I come from. And so, you know, right. I feel like that record in particular basically brought a lot of the, you know, punk adjacent people <laughs> to be like, Hey, like Lucero's cool. Like they're, they're, they're cool to like, like they come from our scene, so to speak. Yeah, um, maybe so. And I don't know. I, I don't know if you kind of like retroactively, like look at that record as being, um, you know, kind of where a sort of groundswell of attention kind of happened. Uh, at least that's my opinion, but yeah, I think, I think just by that time we'd actually gotten out on the road and we, we had a van, um, and we, you know, built a loft in the back and we just, We'd, we'd been booking out of town shows and we actually started going on real tours, um, playing, you know, tiny little punk rock clubs all across the country. And so I think that in conjunction with that much for the West kind of, yeah, that's when, that's when people started to, to, to hear of us for the first time. Before that, we had two records, a self-titled record and a Tennessee record. And th- that was mainly Memphis people that knew about us cause we, cause we just hadn't been out of town that much. But, uh, but by the time, that much further west came out um we'd actually started to travel and uh i think that was probably a major a major part of why people started to notice us then yeah no that's true that's a, <laughs> yeah it's it's amazing when you start to get on tour that people start to pay it, attention to you right? it actually makes a difference um and yeah it's it still kind of blows my mind talking to folks 
who want to be in bands and, and but don't want to go on tour. And I'm like, well, that's that, that, I'm sure that works for somebody, but I don't know. I don't know how that would work. Uh, the only way I know to do it is to get in the van and just and go. Right. So, yeah. Unless, unless like you're like, you know, insanely super famous and you're just like, Oh yeah. Like I want to start a band, you know, when you're, I, don't, I don't know why I'm thinking of this random example, but like, you know, when you're Keanu Reeves starting Dogfish or whatever the band that yeah. he did, you like, don't have to do 10 years in a Dodge van just to get your foot in the door. Right. If you're starting from that level, yeah. um, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, kind of like narrowing the focus on, on you as a person, were you actually born and raised in Memphis? I, I you know, just doing sort no. of the, the biographical stuff. I couldn't really right. discover that. Um, actually I was born and raised in Little Rock, Arkansas, um, which is only about two hours West of Memphis. Um, but growing up, uh, I graduated from high school in 92 and then I went to school. I went to college and graduated in 96. And then I moved to Memphis when I was about 21. And I followed a girl there. Uh, and a, a girl is the whole reason why I ended up in Memphis in the first place and the whole reason that Lucero even exists. Um, but I'd grown up in Little Rock playing in bands and, and going to shows. Um, and it's funny that even though Little Rock and Memphis were only two hours away, uh, they were two different two different scenes for sure. Not, not, not a whole lot of uh, cross-contamination there. Um, so it was a whole new thing when I moved to Memphis. Sure. That's a good point too. Cause I, I, I think that pocket, uh, especially of, you know, when you're talking about, you know, punk and hardcore, it is, um, it's so strange. I mean, especially Memphis where it's like, you know, you're looking at, um, you know, this, this was actually something I was going to ask later, but it's appropriate to bring up now where it's like, you know, you had your bands like, you know, man with gun, his hero was gone. Yep. And then you had bands like, you know, oh. raid where it was like, you know, granted, every scene had their diverse sounds, but I think that, you know, that whatever Little Rock Memphis area is just so bizarre because these really defining bands of genres kind of came from that pocket. Whereas, you know, uh, I, I just don't I don't think there'd be any logical conclusion that it's like, oh, yeah, these crust punk legends would originate in Memphis, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. It's it doesn't. Yeah, it, it, it sounds funny at first. Um, but for I don't know, for us being in Little Rock, Memphis was kind of the bigger, the closest big city. Um, like Little Rock's the capital and it's the biggest city in Arkansas, but it's not that big, especially compared to Memphis. Um, so Memphis was the big city. So yeah, that, yeah, sure. You've got crust punks there. You've got hardcore music there. Uh, and yeah, you had really, really big bands, uh, which I didn't know anything about actually until I moved there. Um, Brian Venable, my guitar player in Lucero, he, he he was born and raised in Memphis, and he was he was friends with those people and acquaintances with all those guys, and, and maybe even played in some bands with a few of them, just side project stuff. Uh, and he knows all that history very well. Um, I, of course, am much more familiar with the old days in Little Rock, Arkansas, right. which were very interesting and completely not opposite from Memphis, but very different. We have, Little Rock wasn't a hardcore. Uh, scene, but it was a very DIY, very uh, I don't know, eclectic uh, music scene when I was in high school. Um, and there was always a we had a there was an amphitheater downtown, and downtown was abandoned. Um, but the power was always on down by the river at this amphitheater thing, and so you just bring a PA, plug it in, and 
invite bands to play. And there was just there were, there was a show probably five nights a week. Somebody was down there playing, and um, you know, so there's no beer, there's no cover charge, there's no anything. Uh, you know, you collect donations and 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 that's how I grew up going to shows. That's what punk rock shows were for me. Um, there had like I guess the one of the biggest bands to come out of Little Rock was. Econo Christ. Yep. That was that was slightly before my time. The band that was real big when I started going to shows was Trusty. That was my first. Uh, that was my first punk rock show. was a Was a Trusty show. Sure. They ended up moving moving to Washington D.C. and um, getting on Discord. But um, but they were little rock guys. And uh, yeah, that's so obviously Trusty versus his heroes gone. Uh, it's two different worlds. Yeah, <laughs> different worlds. Um, and so my, I was much more in the not hardcore scene. I and I came from this kind of I don't know, I don't wanna say it, it was just a it was a much uh easier going, less intense, less scary scene for me. It was uh, a little more inclusive, I think. Sure. Oh totally. Well yeah, when you're talking about these, you know, intense politics, whether it's like, you know, anti capitalism or, you know, hardline vegan straight edge, like, you know, exactly. when you're talking about a band like Trusty, that could not be further of the you know end of the spectrum where it's just like yeah yeah, like we we were more we liked rock and roll and we liked punk rock and roll but we liked yeah it was it was much more um i don't know chino horde was another band from there Hmm. we were big i don't know everybody was we it seemed more focused on the music and not as much the politics yeah Right. Well, I think too, uh, you know, you're speaking to something that I think a lot of people, you know, in when you experience, you know, touring, you know, bands of whatever sound, I think in certain cities, they are very isolated because, you know, they're not cultural hubs. You're not, you know, even today, like, it's not like people, many people are playing Little Rock, Arkansas, like that gets passed over 90% of the time. Probably more now than it did when I was in high school, it was actually very, uh, there's a kid named Burt Taggart who was in a band called Chino Horde and a bunch of other bands. But he was instrumental in bringing a lot of out-of-town bands through Little Rock. Um, and it's, yeah, now it's, uh, I don't know, there's more venues to play, and downtown has kind of had a resurgence. Um, but now it's uh, now it's kind of just like every other small town um, where, yeah, it depends on who the promoter is, who's trying to get bands to come to town it just uh it's it's now i don't know a little homogenized uh and back then little rock actually got more shows i think than it does today just because uh the scene's different um of course i'm old and so maybe i don't know what the hell is going on anymore (laughs) totally in touch maybe there's a whole lot of really cool stuff happening there um but, but yeah it's uh it's definitely different yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, no matter what, like once you get to a certain age, like there, you know, there's always going to be basement shows no matter where you are. Exactly. It's, just, it's just a matter of like, you're obviously not connected to it because you're not a 15 right. year old kid, but um, exactly. you can at least observe it from the, uh, you know, the, <laughs> you can have the perspective of like, well, yes, like I remember what it was then and it, it you know, it ebbed and flowed and whatever, but yeah. Um, and it was, and it was isolated. Like you said, um, even like we said from Memphis, which is only two hours away or Dallas, which is five hours away. Um, that, that, that might as well have been the moon. Um, and, and our scene was very, uh, it was, it was, there was, it had, you had different types of bands, you know, you'd have a straight edge band or a ska band or, 
uh, I don't know, kind of emo band mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but it, it was all there, but it was all in this one little pocket. And um, I don't know, some some cool stuff happened because it was so isolated. I think we just we didn't know exactly what was cool. You you kind of latch on. This is pre-internet days. Yep. So. Um, you know, finding, you know, VHS tapes of this band performing live or, you know, finding a book on this or a tape from that. Um, and just kind of trying to figure out what is cool and what all is out there. Um, it was a more mysterious process and it ended up informing this kind of, I don't know, very unique, but very positive kind of scene at the time. Totally. Because at the end of the day, all you are pulling from is you know when people get attracted to subcultures like you know the 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 weirdos are going to hang out the weirdos and it's like it's different different shades of weirdos where it's like yeah you may be into heavy music but like you can still listen to you know a weird indie rock band and be kind of like oh they got some sick guitars or whatever and like because there's no options like the one rockabilly band over there they're (laughs) totally and yeah and everybody's you've got to go to the same you're all hanging out the same places because there's only there's there's the one place where shows happen uh everybody so you're all kind of stuck with each other uh in this kind of motley assortment of of weirdos yeah 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 no that's perfect um and so kind of you know uh, looking at your sort of family structure um like i did obviously i know you have you have one brother do you have like do you have a sister and another brother or what's the family makeup uh, just three boys Uh, i got two little brothers Got it. So you, you were the, the trailblazer. You were the pioneer. Yeah. And I had no idea what I was doing. So, <laughs> so yeah, I don't know if I was much help to the, to the younger brothers. Uh, although I don't know, Jeff, uh, Jeff ended up absorbing a little bit of my taste in music and then a little bit of the middle brother, Matthew, he's a lawyer, but he's got really, he's got really good taste in music of, he likes old R and B and blues and he's got, he mainly likes older music. And we've, uh, but we've learned a lot from each other. Um, cause I of course like that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, but he never went to the punk rock shows and was never interested in any of that. He, he was always interested in going back further in musical history. Right, um, right. And so Jeff, the filmmaker, he got a little bit of Matthew's tasting stuff and a little bit of my, I don't know, going to DIY shows. He got, he got a little bit of both, and I think that's benefited him uh, in his career path. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree wholeheartedly because, it, it, I mean, it is one of those things I think that anybody that runs across the subcultures that we have, and especially, like you said, the sort of DIY, like, I don't care what music scene it is, when you have that mentality of, like, yeah, like, let's plug and play and figure out, like, let's invite 20 of our friends and we'll charge them yeah. $2 a piece or whatever. Exactly. Like, that helps you out tremendously because you know, I don't, I don't care what creative field you go into. You're going to have to do that in some capacity, you know, putting together, for sure, <laughs> putting together it, a film, putting together a book. It doesn't matter. You're just figuring it out as you go. Yeah. And it, and it all comes back to, you know, doing, doing the work and yeah, at the time back then had putting on a show and it, it wasn't, it wasn't work. It was just what, we wanted to do more than anything else. So, uh, it didn't seem like work. Um, but, but yeah, we were kind of laying the foundations for, uh, I, I don't know. I was learning how to be in a band and I was learning how to, yeah, if not run a show, um, at least I knew what has to happen to make a show 
work. Um, right, right. And I don't know. It was it was a it was a good way of growing up. Uh, and it, there is a certain I don't know. There's a certain work ethic involved, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you want to make something happen. You know, all by yourself, basically. Yeah. Um, so so yeah yeah exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you just kind of, you know, whatever, seeing you play over time and just kind of, you know, observing who you are as an individual, forgive me if I'm playing armchair, uh, you know, psychologist here, but you, um, you, you know, you've always struck me as a person where it's like you, um, you know, you grew comfortable to the role that you are in as far as like the front man and the person, you know, talking to the crowd or whatever. Um, but, but that to me, that struck me as something that maybe was more of a a learned thing over time. You became more comfortable or were you always kind of like, you know, the social butterfly? No, no, it was definitely, uh, if I could have found somebody else to be the singer in my band, I would have. Um, but, uh, I'd never, I, 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 I would, had trouble just finding anybody to be in a band with me. Um, right. so, so yeah, I, I was planning on being a bass player and not singing. Um, but, but then that leaves a whole lot of stuff uh, that needs to get done. And if, and if you can't find somebody to do it, you're never going to be in a band. So I was like, all right, fine. I'll try to play guitar a little bit. All right, fine. I'll sing. Uh, all right. I'm just, I'm going to have to do all this <laughs> on my own. Um, sure. Yeah, being a front man never really interested me. And I think even still today, after 20 years of being in Lucero, it's still a night to night thing. I think some nights I get lucky and the crowd's good and I can, I pull it off. Um, and we have a good rapport. Uh, and then some nights I just want to, I just have to close my eyes and, and barrel through and, um, I don't make the same kind of front man connection. Um, and I feel bad. I feel guilty on those nights and I, I wish I knew why some nights worked and some nights don't. Uh, but I definitely, I don't consider myself a natural front man. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Like that someone, you know, would look at you and be like, you know what, you know what Ben has a star quality. <laughs> yeah, no, no one has ever said that. Ever. <laughs> There's nothing that makes me happier when I get to barge in and tell you about some of my favorite stuff, which this thing is one of my just favorite companies around away luggage they offer super high quality stuff that is designed to be resilient resourceful and essential to the way that you travel it's available in a variety of colors and four different sizes the suitcase is super lightweight and made with premium german polycarbonate that's unrivaled in strength and impact resistance better yet both sizes of the carry-on are available to charge anything that's powered by usb a single charge will power your iphone five times they have sent me some stuff in the past and I have spent hundreds of dollars since because basically everybody in my family, everybody in my extended family, anytime they see this luggage and they're like, whoa, what's up with that? They look at it and just it's it it fosters so many questions and then I show them and they're like, oh my gosh, I need some of this. So I cannot tell you, I, it's essential to any time that I travel and whether it's traveling by myself, whether it's traveling with my family, it is the go-to luggage. I've literally thrown out all the other pieces of luggage I have, and I only have away stuff now. There's no reason. Like, you being on tour, you need away luggage, okay? It's the best. So try out away for 100 days, vibe with it, travel with it, shoot it on social media, whatever it is you want to do, and if at any point you decide that it's not for you, return it for a full refund. Shipping is free within the lower 48 states, and thanks to Away's lifetime warranty, if anything breaks, they'll fix it so you have nothing to lose. I want to give you $20 off. 
Visit awaytravel.com slash words and use the promo code words during checkout. That's awaytravel.com slash words, promo code words, and I will give you $20 off your suitcase. Away is the best, okay? No two bones about it. Do it up and you will not regret it, okay? Now here's the show. And so, you know, as a kid, once you started to kind of form your own identity and, you know, go to high school and, you know, start to figure out the stuff that you were into, um, you know, what, I guess, what was your sort of initial intro to uh, independent music? I mean, like, I know you mentioned the shows that you were going to and stuff like that. Um, was it literally just kind of tripping across it and being like, oh, this is something I'm into? Or was it yeah. something a little more deliberate? It was, you know, when you're in sixth, seventh grade, um, you know, everybody's listening to Van Halen 1984 and whatever's on the radio. Uh, but then, yeah, it's like you said, the weirdos find the weirdos. And then you've got that friend that has the dead Milkman tape and the dead Kennedys tape. And then somebody gives you, you know, the violent films self-titled record. And you're like, Ooh, what is, this is different. What is, what is this? Um, I want, I want to hear more stuff like this. Um, and then, yeah, at 14, somebody took me to a, the, it was the trusty show. Um, and they were putting it on at the women's city club in Little Rock, Arkansas. It was a weird, a weird place for a show, right. but, but it, but it blew my mind. And I, you know, I'd never really gone downtown before I was, you know, growing up in the suburbs. And so the fact that there was this type of music downtown in my hometown, it kind of blew my mind. And then everything else, uh, kind of fell into place after that. Then, yeah, you find, you meet more of the weirdos and you find more of the bands and you, you're like, oh, this guy's actually, you know, he's my age and he's got his own band and they're, they, they've got a van and they're going on tour. How is this possible? And then, um, and yeah, you're like, I, I want to, I want to be a part of that. Um, and so, yeah, the fact that there was such a vibrant scene, uh, in those days in Little Rock is definitely helped kind of fuel my, uh, my, desire to pursue this right right and what did your uh you know what did your parents do for a living uh my dad sold furniture okay uh, uh and they used to sell pianos and organs my grandmother opened up a piano and organ business way back in the day and my uncle and my dad worked for her and then and then they branched out into furniture and mainly ended up selling furniture um and so so yeah they we were raised uh we were definitely raised by um, self-employed business people. Sure. Uh, they had their own business. Uh, started with my grandmother, and then it, my my dad, and my uncle, kind of took it over. Nice. Um, and so, so that always, I obviously I wasn't thinking about it at the time, but now, um, now that I'm kind of running this business, um, I, I I actually feel like I have a lot in common with. Uh, my dad and my grandmother. Um, yeah, we're the one that we're the ones that sign the checks. We're the ones that have the bank accounts. We're the ones that you know keep track of all the, the money coming in and out. And yeah, uh, it's I don't know. I and I kind of like it that way. I like not having a having a boss. Uh, sure. And I've never ever had a boss, and I, I I like I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. 
And so, you know, because I, I think that, you know, considering the band has existed for 20 years now, um, the, you know, most people don't make that sort of causal connection, like, of the fact that, you know, Lucero has existed in this, you know, the independent DIY scene, like, you know, where you guys are at now, like a person that just, yeah. you know, randomly trips across you. Um, like, do does, does that notion of like, oh, like, you know, Lucero's essentially just a kind of a bunch of punk and hardcore kids, um, like, does that even like uh, does that even come up anymore or is that something that's just like oh yeah well, when people know they know but you know yeah, no uh it's it's that's a good question because the crowd's evolving as as we you know grow older and change um you know there was a there was a middle period where it was all of these crazy bmx kids and there was you know they just wanted to throw beer on everything and you know mosh to the slowest saddest song you know, <laughs> a weird thing right but it, and it existed for for a number of years that's what we were um but then i don't know if it's them getting older or us getting older or or you know just an influx of new fans because luckily we've uh it's been a very very slow build but um you know we're just inch by inch growing a, a, we're still we're still going up um we're, we're we're gaining new fans day by day still um and so so maybe there's a new influx of older fans possibly that have discovered us um who don't want to climb on each other and throw beer at <laughs> everything in the room um right and so the dynamics kind of changed and yeah i don't know if those people uh really give a crap about our punk rock history uh they're just there for they're just there because they like the songs we're playing uh, and they like the sound of what they're hearing right now. Um, so yeah, I, I think that might be less important now than mm-hmm. it was in the beginning. In the beginning, it was definitely part of our identity. Um, we, when well, we started, you know, intentionally, well, all we knew were punk rock shows, but we decided we wanted to play this, you know, slow, sad country music type stuff. Um, and we were going to play, we played shows with This Hero's Gone. <laughs> we played shows with, you know, bands that totally does not make sense for us to be there. Um, but that's kind of all we knew. So that's where we started. And we kind of liked that being, you know, outcasts of the outcasts. Um, we were playing country songs at punk rock shows to be, yeah. To Brian Venable once said to piss off the punk rockers. Yeah. Because he likes causing trouble. And, um, and so, yeah. Um, and then we would, then we discovered there was this whole scene of kind of countryish bands, alternative country or whatever you call it. Right. But then we were too punk rock for those shows and we were too country for the punk rock shows. And, and we liked existing in that kind of limbo. <laughs> it wasn't great for record sales or for no, no. Yeah. Yeah. As a business plan. And then you've got the, yeah. Then you've got the alternative country crowd that comes to the show and the punk rock BMX kids that come to the show and, yeah, there's conflicts there. Um, and that was all, yeah, that was part of what Lucero was in the old days. And luckily now everything's kind of, uh, everything's kind of settled down a little bit and simmered down to a a point where, um, usually most nights, uh, everybody's there for the same, for the same reason now. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, it, it's a little more. It's not quite as stressful as it used to be. <laughs> sure, because I, I don't know why I always, in my head, I always kind of placed you in this, um, you know, a, a band like a veil. 
you know, yeah, Avail, sure. like I, I just, I, there was always this connective tissue that I felt with, with Avail and what you guys were doing because, you know, yes, Avail was sort of a pop punk band, whatever, whatever you want yeah. to describe them as, but right. they would, they would play hardcore shows. They would play with whoever. And you guys existed in that same world where it was like, you can play heavy shows and be the band that people are just like, you know, stop crying on mic or whatever. <laughs> but like, <laughs> but yeah, like you existed in that world, which I, I think, you know, to me, that's what pulled people towards you who were going to be, you know, I guess longer lasting fans where they were like, Oh yeah. Like I'm not just like going to dip in on a record and bail on Lucero. It's like, no, right. like I'm, I'm here for the long run. Yeah. And that's nice. Uh, I, that's the kind of band. Well, I think everybody wants to be that kind of band, but that's, that's, we would, we were in it for the long haul and we wanted folks, um, that yeah, could come with us, you know? Um, and, having a, like a one hit type wonder thing definitely wasn't what we were interested in. Um, and we were just fine with that kind of slow build. Um, but yeah, uh, going, we went on tour with Avail. Um, I remember the first time well, Avail had stayed at my house in Memphis one time after a show. Um, but then I re-met Tim later once uh, at South by Southwest, I think. Uh, and after he'd actually heard Lucero and he kind of tracked us down and that blew my mind. Like, I was like, Oh, Tim from the Bale. Right. <laughs> totally. Wanted to come see us. That's play. huge. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's a mind blowing. It's, it's amazing. And then they asked us to go on tour and I was like, that's insane. But of course we will. Um, and so, yeah, that, and that made perfect sense to me. Uh, I don't know if it made sense to all of their fans, but, but to me and, and to some of the other fans of Lucero, it was like, Oh yeah, that's great. Um, that's a perfect match. Um, and then, you know, you go on, you get other tours. Some of them work, some of them don't. Um, I think one of the later on, we went on tour social distortion and that was, I, I kind of see that as a turning point. Um, we definitely gained a whole lot of new fans, uh, each night it was scary because social distortion fans are social distortion fans. It's like the same thing as like when bands tour with Slayer, like they don't, they're not interested in anything else except what they're there to see. And they're not there to see you. And so, right. So yeah, you get a lot of mean looks, but you know, but there's, you know, 2000, 3000 people there a night. Um, and yeah, if a hundred of those people a night are like, Ooh, I'm buying that CD. And then, we met, I, I meet folks every night. They're like, ah, the first time I saw you was with social D and I've been coming to every show since I'm like, ah, that's, that's great. Um, and I don't know, just it's social distortion. Obviously, obviously is a punk rock band, but their music's got a lot of other stuff in it. It's, they're not a hardcore band, obviously. And they're not, um, you know, he, obviously Mike Ness likes roots, rock and roll. Um, and the fact that he liked us so much kind of, amazed me. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought about it. And I was like, Oh well, yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're from the same place, uh, you know, sun studios with Johnny cash and Elvis Presley and all that stuff that, you know, Mike likes. Um, and I was like, all right, yeah, that makes sense that he, that he likes us. Yeah. Um, but that been, and, and so I don't know, I think after that tour, we might've, I don't know. I, I we, we either matured or maybe we, maybe we just got tired and, uh, 
had to accept the fact that, oh, hell, we're, we're actually becoming adults. Um, and, and all right, let's, uh, let's actually take this a little, a little more seriously. Yeah. Uh, and maybe, maybe we'll, maybe we'll try to, we'll accept that older crowd that's coming in. And, um, I would, we don't have to, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it was, it was a moment where we had to, we had to kind of evolve into something a little more serious or else it was just going to implode on itself. Right. Uh, and maybe a little less drinking, uh, maybe a little more focus on actually playing the music that we're here to play. Um, and so I think it was actually, a, it was a good thing. We, uh, we gained a lot of new audience members and, uh, and yeah, and the band kind of shifted to a more, uh, I keep saying serious. That's the only word that pops into my head. Yeah. But, uh, well, no, dude, I, I real honestly, I really appreciate that, that, uh, that expression and that train of thought, because I think it is, you know, w- w- when the rubber hits the road and you are this band that is, you know, like, yes, you're getting on good tours and like, you know, money's coming in and merch and, you know, like once all that stuff starts to kind of click together, you do have to make that, that decision on like, okay, like we can ride this wave and like make it this, you know, three to five year thing. And you know, what are, like, you know, drink ourselves to death or whatever. There's like a million different scenarios you can go through. But when you actually, like you said, have that, that sort of longer term focus, that's when you're kind of like, okay, hold on. Like yeah. it, this is like you said, it's not sustainable, but like I, I sometimes and it doesn't sound yeah. cool to talk about, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah making these healthy decisions and deciding to, you know, focus on, I don't know, on, on being productive, but really, I mean, really that's what it was. The music that, that I wanted to, it was always the music. It was always, it was, it's the songwriting. I've never been a great guitar player. Um, and I'm not that great of a singer, but I love just putting a song together and it's really hard work, but when it clicks and you're like, Oh, that's okay. That's the phrase. That's, I can build everything around that. When it all clicks together, it's the best feeling on the planet. Yeah. So, no, so that's getting super- back to that and yeah. Um, deciding, yes, I want to, I want to continue to do this. I don't want to burn myself out. Uh, I don't want to, yeah, drink myself to death. Um, let's, uh, let's, let's focus on the songwriting. Um, and yeah, that was a, it was a, it was a good thing. And, uh, and yeah, that brings us to today, which, uh, uh, I'm, I am really proud of the new record that we've got called among the ghosts. Um, it's, I think the songwriting on it's, I'm pretty, pretty solid. I'm, I'm proud of it. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. Um, and this is, this is kind of backtracking, but I think it's important. Mm-hmm. Like Lou, Lucero can't be your first band. Like you obviously had done, terrible probably garage bands and played some shows before that or is lucero kind of like your first sort of gig and band <laughs> um no i'd been in a band in little rock called red 40 okay. um which people still track down i'm not even sure who has those recordings uh somebody put it out on cds for a while um and i but i don't know who actually has the stuff now right. you can you can it's out there and red 40 was a very kind of jawbreaker ish inspired band. Got it. Um, and yeah, I was, you know, 19 years old, 20 years old. Um, and we played little rock in hot springs, Arkansas, and we played a few shows in Memphis. And, um, 
and I was amazed when we went to Memphis and yeah, there was like 50, 60 people there. It was a huge show for me. Yep. Uh, especially our first time in town. Um, but yeah, somehow some Memphis kids had found our cassette tape or whatever. And it, it, it and it, we, we were well received. So then I ended up meeting a girl in Memphis and then moving there. Right. And, and the band wasn't ever meant to last too long. I would have loved to have gone on tour with Red 40, but it was a, it was a three piece and those, the two other guys just had other stuff that they were more interested in. Sure. Uh, but, uh, so then I moved to Memphis and yeah, started looking for guys to be in a band with. Um, when I was in a band called lucky old son, that was kind of in the same vein. Um, and then I don't know, I had the, I had the idea that maybe I wanted to write, uh, country songs and write something that I wasn't hearing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's punk rock shows. Right, and right, right. Invincible had never been in a band before, didn't know how to play guitar at all. Um, but he was the only guy that wanted to be in the band. So I was like, I can, we can, you can learn. You right. can learn. I was like, we'll start. You we'll can start figure it out. And, uh, and we did. We started very, very simple. Um, it's like, put your finger here and then move it here. It's just dun, 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 dun. And just do that the entire song. Right. Okay, here we go. And that's, <laughs> literally how we started the band okay um, so yeah so i was in some old bands and uh but but lucero does have a certain um naive quality to it uh, a certain beginner <laughs> type sound right uh, and i kind of considered that part of our punk rockness too it's that whole that old you know the more you know how to play your instrument the less punk rock you are kind of <laughs> yeah yeah so and that way we are we are the most punkest of all events. <laughs> totally. Well, I mean, and you know, to the to your credit from that perspective, it's the idea that you know, like, yes, you can be in bands and play, you know, a couple shows, but like, you know, it isn't until you get out there, like, even if it's just playing a couple weekends out of out of town, that's kind of when you really start to get a taste of like what it's like to actually be in a band. You know, that's yeah, semi functional. Sure. And yeah, and I think once you start to travel, and once because you're living in a van with you know three four five other guys and that's when yeah you you have to kind of realize uh, not only the business side of it but the how do we live together uh side of it um you have to be you have to figure out how your personalities are going to fit together um and how to make that work um because obviously we all know bands break up all the time because personalities clash um and yes all my guys are assholes and i'm an asshole totally <laughs> so we figured out how to we we made it through i think we were made we never made a lot of money but we in the old days we all moved into this warehouse together so our rent was 600 bucks a month for all four of us um and you know utilities were like 150 bucks a month so if we made 750 bucks a month that paid everyone's bills perfect know? And, um, so, and we had, I bought the van and we could book tours. So we just had to, yeah, make 750 bucks a month plus, you know, gas money. And that was our, that was our nut. You know, that was, that was what we had to cover. Yeah. It was overhead. And, uh, yeah, that was overhead and that we, uh, and so that allowed us to stay on the road a lot. Um, and so none of us wanted to get a real job. And so as bad as it got personality wise, uh, 
we nobody we were all willing to work through it just uh if not for the music um to avoid responsibility and in, in, in the real world uh that was a that was a major incentive i think for a lot of the guys to, <laughs> to not just quit right there yeah um, some days you wanted to but then you're like oh, i that had Roy would have to go back to the pizza place and yeah, Brian would have to go fix shoes and nobody ever, it never got so bad that Brian wanted to fix shoes again. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, that's the, I, I really like that painting that picture. Cause I, I do think that, you know, people get to that point of, you know, whatever, when you're in your mid twenties and you're like, all right, well, I want to do this band and like, we're going to do anything we possibly can to make this work. So yes, like, you know, moving into a warehouse with, you know, like, I mean, so many people have done that where it's just like, Oh yeah, we're living in like a storage space and it's like, well, that's not legal. Is there a shower? Is there a bathroom? No, like we're (laughs) fine. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, but yeah, that's what you do. We at least had a a toilet and a shower. (laughs) That's good. No, no heat, no AC. Nah, it was, uh, it was bare bones. Those are luxuries. Right. Um, And yeah, I'm glad the guys were willing to do it because yeah, it, it was, it was part of what we had to do to get to where we were going. YouTube music is the best. I love it. And you need to love it as well. We've all been there, right? Like just this super deep dive into YouTube where you're just bouncing around, finding new bands. There is so much to discover there and you can spend hours exploring new songs and artists. And now there's an app to make it so much easier. It's a brand new music streaming service combining everything that you love and expect from YouTube and then it brings it all to life. YouTube Music makes it easy to find the music you're looking for. Albums, singles, music videos, live performances, even covers and remixes. Don't know the song's name? Search by the lyrics. Super easy. The app gives you recommendations based on taste, location, and time of day. You can easily find the music trending around you no matter where you are. And with YouTube Music Premium, it's even better. Get ad-free music that plays with the screen off or while using other apps. Enjoy the music wherever you want it, even when you're offline. So stop what you're doing, download the new YouTube music app today, and start a free 30-day trial. Then enjoy music for just $9.99 per month. Terms and restrictions, of course, apply. But YouTube music, it's all here. I love this app so much. You need to mess around with it, and you will fall in love as well. Okay? Now here's the show kind of on that same tip where it's like, you know, uh, you, uh, like, like you were talking about the, the sort of, you know, business owner perspective that you, uh, come, come from, from your, uh, your family roots and the idea that, um, you know, Lucero has experienced pretty much every single label scenario imaginable from like, you know, cool indies to like getting signed to majors to putting out your own records. Um, and like, obviously you have been, you know, the, the sort of de facto business person, you know, working in conjunction with management or whatever. But, um, like, did you, I I guess, like, have you always sort of enjoyed the business aspect of the band or is that kind of a necessary evil that you needed to, um, exist in, in order to, you know, keep the music flowing? Um, it was, it wasn't something I relished doing, um, but I didn't hate it either. Um, and the idea of having anyone else do it, I didn't like that. Um, I like being in control and, uh, yes, I want to, I want to make the bank deposits, I don't want anybody else to have access to the bank. Um, I, I want to be in charge of, you know, paying bills and, you know, writing checks. And I want to know, I want to know what's coming in and what's going out. And it was just, um, yeah, it's not something I love to do. Um, but then, but like you said, you get help. Then you eventually you, 
you've got the booking agent and we've got a great booking agent, Andrew Colvin. We've had him for years and years and, um, and he's kept us with us as he's moved from, from one booking agency to, to another. Um, and he's, he understands exactly who we are as a band. Um, and he's, 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 he's kind of the one that I really think, uh, is the secret weapon of the band. He can, he's great at booking us shows and giving us good shows. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, so he gets his percentage and then of course you end up with management companies and we've had two or three different managers here and there. Um, and yeah, some guys you work with better than others. And, and some days I don't really know what the managers do, but I don't know. For the most part, uh, it's, they take a lot off my plate, which is, which is good. Um, and they've got connections that, you know, I wouldn't have with whoever, I don't know, uh, press people and, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Other managers and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so they do bring other opportunities to the table, but when it comes down to day to day business, um, yeah, I like staying in control of it. Um, and then I've got an accountant that files taxes at the end of the year, um, for the band and, uh, for the band and for all the individual members of the band. Um, cause we're an LLC, so it's a pass through company. So everybody's in charge of paying their own taxes. Right. Uh, well, they were supposed to be. And now, now I make sure. <laughs> now <Right>. I make sure. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, hey, hey, dude, you missed your 2017 run. How about you? How about you submit that? We've got guys. They're they're making they're 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 on plans. They're gonna pay it. Back. It's all gonna be fine. Yeah, uh, it's all as one does. Yes, yeah. You know that's again part of uh, yeah getting older and yeah you've got to yeah, different responsibilities become more more uh, important. Um, but yeah, everything's kind of, we've got it set up to where it works pretty, pretty well now. And, um, did you uh, like, did you kind of on that same notion, like, you know, be, because you've made, uh, you know, uh, pretty much every type of decision that you could make as far as like, you know, what tours to take and all that sort of stuff. Like, w- yeah. where do you feel like, I guess the, the biggest pain points in your head that like, you know, the, the, the agonizing decisions that, you know, you guys like, you know, after practice, like you talk a lot about, um, you know, is it like those, those label moves? Is it the tours? Right. I, I know it's kind of, you know, it's, there's no easy answer because it's all circumstantial, but like, right. which, uh, I, I guess, which thing did you, do you feel like caused the most, um, not even turmoil per se, but just like discussions, you know? Right. Um, man, I don't know. The worst part of, uh, the worst thing that Lucero has been through in my opinion, and probably all the guys opinion is, uh, our first manager that we had, um, well, the first label we had was Magic Records in Memphis, Tennessee. Local guys, and we were planning on signing a, you know, a one record deal with them. And then they show up to the meeting, and they're like, "Oh no, it would be better if we do two records." And this is a time where we're like, "Okay, fine. We don't we don't have any money. We just want to put out the records. We just want we want to record the records. So sure, we'll do two. Um, and that's self-titled in Tennessee, which are still two of our most popular selling records, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later on down the line, a few records later, we get a manager. And, um, and yeah, and he wants to try to get those, because they own those albums outright. They own everything about them. 
Um, they didn't, not the publishing, but they owned the sound recordings and they, I don't know. And we didn't, we weren't really making any money off of those. Um, and so there was this big contentious, uh, lawyers were hired and stuff by the manager. And then, you know, obviously the label hired lawyers and there was this huge fight about these two records. Um, and it ended up all right. We ended up, basically we ended up getting the rights to one of the records back and they still own the rest to the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it ended up in a fair place, I think. But that was uh, having to give depositions. Oh my god! Wow. Yeah, yeah that's like, brutal. No, it's the worst. It's the worst thing ever. Um, and so, luckily, since then, uh, no matter what manager we've had, um, and no matter what label we've worked with, um, we've made sure that it was uh, everything we've made better decisions since, since then. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, like we signed a, we signed on with universal for, for one record. Um, and that was, that was, it was your typical major label experience where, uh, the guy that signs you, you gets fired before your record comes out right. and no one cares about you and nothing. Yeah. Nothing happens and you can't get more, CDs from them because nobody cares to make them and yeah it was I think eventually we got that album back and now we're in charge of it luckily kind of as the years go by we get control of more and more of our old records um, and now today uh, we for this new record we paid for it all by ourselves right and signed a distribution deal with 30 Tigers and um, and that is perfect and I think after 20 years we finally figured out that alright it Obviously, when you're a young band, you can't front, you know, $30,000 to pay for an album. Mm-hmm. Um, with this one, you know, we did 10 days and we paid for that. And then we went on tour for a couple months and we come back and do another 10 days and pay for that. And we'll go on tour for a few months and come back. And we kind of recorded it over a year and we kind of paid for it as we went, um, which was a really nice way of doing it um, financially and creatively. Um, and then and then having 30 tigers, uh, come on board as a distributor. Um, yeah, it feels like this is the right way. to Right. It's the good, it's a good structure for you. Yeah. 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 Um, the, uh, you know, considering the fact like, you know, that, uh, now people have, because you've put out so much music, not only with Lucero, but yourself, and then obviously have had, you know, a great working relationship with your brother and, you know, placing music in his scores and stuff like that. Um, you know, is it, uh, is it interesting for people to kind of know you from different things? You know, I mean, obviously people, it's fi- cool. people find out about Lucero pretty quickly when they look into you, but you know, is it, uh, you know, it has it been interesting being like, Oh yeah, I heard one of your songs in uh, take shelter. And like, now I'm like a huge fan and you're like, Hey, can you check out my band? Like, <laughs> It's man. It's the best. Uh, I got a whole lot of stuff from we, well, I guess I had a song from the solo record, Last Pill Light in the West, uh, was in a Walking Dead episode. Right. And that, that was huge. And it was really cool. One of the nicest compliments I've ever had was when Scott Gimple, he's the showrunner on Walking Dead, and I didn't even know what a showrunner was. Right. But apparently that's the dude that he's, he's in control of the story. He's in control of where everything's going. Like the director directs the episode but the showrunner decides what happens from episode to episode and hires the director. And you're like, Oh, okay. I see. Um, and he called and wanted to use the last pill light in the West for the scene with the governor. 
And I was like, yes, definitely you can use it. Um, and he was like, man, I've written a whole lot of scenes in the walking dead listening to this album. And that, that was, uh, and that was just was amazing to me. That, that was one of the nicest things anybody's ever said. That's pretty cool. Uh, when you know that you've kind of been the background music for, for, for this writer as he's writing this kind of, well, well just the most popular TV show in America at the time. Right. Right. So that was, that was nice. And that was big. And, uh, so yeah, a lot of folks, that's the first time they ever heard of us, uh, or heard of me. And, um, and yeah, how are they discovered? It's great. Um, and with Jeff Nichols, my brother, uh, well, he's made five feature films, uh, and he's working on a sixth mm-hmm. and, and we've had music in every one of those, um, which is nice of him. I think, uh, he's a fan. Um, and, I don't know. I'm not sure why he keeps <laughs> keeps using this. I, I don't know if he's that big a fan, but I think uh, I don't know. I, I I love it, and I hope he always uses this. Um, but uh, it's definitely nice of him. He doesn't have to, right? <laughs> Even though I'm the older brother, you know, he still he could. I'd be like, okay, fine. I understand that we don't have a place in this movie, <laughs> but uh, totally. But, but actually, we've had we've had something in all, in all five of them. And I think think once once I personally made that connection where I, you know, I want to say, I mean, it was early in his film career where I made the the connection where I was like, dude, are you kidding me? Like they're brothers. That is so cool. Like it just I I love that because I like it just with the types of movies he makes. Yeah. uh, And he wanted to make movies. He he lives in Texas now. He's an Austin, Texas guy. But um, but he always wanted to come home to Arkansas and make films in Arkansas. And um, and he's, he's he's Mud, which is arguably one of his biggest films. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was made in Arkansas, and Shotgun Stories, of course, was made in Arkansas. A few of the others necessitated being made other places, right? But uh, uh, but yeah, it's it, it's a good it's a good fit, and um, I always wanted to work more closely with him. Uh, like when he was in film school in North Carolina. He, he made one film a year, basically one short film a year at the end of the year, every year culminated in, in, in the short film that he wrote and directed. And I would go out there every year and, and either act or do soundtrack work or just for the fun of it, I would drive to North Carolina and help him with his, you know, film projects for school. Um, and I wanted to do something like that again. I hadn't been able to work that closely with him since he got out of school and started making real movies. Um, until just recently, I convinced him uh, to convince Michael Shannon and and Jeff cinematographer Adam Stone uh, and his production team and some other great actors to all come to Memphis and help us make a video for one of these new songs. Um, right. We made a we made a short film for Long Way Back Home that is for me. Uh, it was it was the perfect culmination of this music and art that he does. Um, and it was, if I could do that over and over again, if I could do a whole album of, you know, 10 songs with these 10 short films, uh, that I make with my brother, there's no way I can get that kind of financing, but (laughs) yeah, yeah, that would be, 
the that dream. Was the ultimate thing. Um, so I'm I'm real proud of this video slash short film that he made for Long Way Back Home. Uh, that was an absolute pleasure to do. That was kind of a dream come true. Yeah, totally. And like you said, it's this culmination where it's just like you both are able to leave your thumbprint and imprint on it you know aesthetically exactly. musically it's just like this it's a, oh dude like yeah we're both confident in our work now and then we can actually put these two things together and make it that much cooler because yeah. of and all complimentary. yeah uh, totally totally you know, and, and just and we're brothers and we're from the same place and we kind of have the same aesthetic and uh yeah it was that was it was really cool seeing that come together yeah absolutely um two last things i want to hit on before i let you go um what, one random thing actually what, what did you get your degree in because you you said you finished college oh, i did uh i got a history degree a oh. bachelor's degree in history nice. um you could be a teacher i, I could uh, <laughs> i don't know if anyone would hire me but uh but yeah i'm still i it kind of works its way into certain songs sometimes um there's a song I did about my grandfather called The War, and he was in Europe in World War II in an infantry division. And um, and so I kind of, you know, I went and interviewed family members and, and old friends of his. He passed when I was 12, so I never got to ask him a whole lot of questions. And then, um, you know, a lot of stuff from some Stephen Ambrose books, uh, like Citizen Soldiers uh, and Band of Brothers. He wrote that as well. Um but yeah, I kind of did all this research and, and it ended up going into this song about my granddad. Um, and that's, I, I felt like I was kind of making good on right. <laughs> that college degree. <laughs> right. Uh, Piece of paper. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah, it was totally worth it, dad. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. Hey, yeah. this, this weird band life that you probably are just like, dude, Ben is just making mistake after mistake. You're like, Hey, this paid off. Okay. <laughs> he was, for, he was at the beginning for sure. He was like, Ben, you can't, you, you can't put that many miles on a vehicle. <laughs> You're losing money, Ben. I'm like, I know I'm losing money. I know, That's but it's going to, it's going to pay off. I promise dad. And, um, and now he's actually very, he gets it. Um, sure. So, so it worked out. And I think he liked that song about his father as well. Um, so yeah, it all, it all, it all worked out. Yeah. It all pans out. Um, the, uh, one of the things too was the, you know, uh, clearly you are, you know, a family man, you have, you know, uh, you came into the relationship with your wife or she had two kids already. Right. And then then you, then you have, Okay, and then you have a kid now with her, correct? Yeah, who's uh, about two years old now. Right, and so uh, something that I noted, just you know, poking around at other interviews and stuff like that, uh, there was a, a sentiment that I felt uh, was really sweet. I mean, I, I'm the father of a seven year old, so I can attest to what. Uh-huh. You're, yeah, I can attest what you're talking about. But you like, you know, fatherhood is fun, and um, something that uh, you know, I uh, I kind of selfishly ask other fathers on this show, where it's just like, you know, because we have come from the world of you know anti-establishment and you know going right. against the grain and a lot of things, and then. Raising children through that lens is really interesting because I feel like there's there's a lot of that where it's like you kind of give your kid, uh, you know, a larger uh, scope to figure out who they are because you're not as worried because you're like, well, you know, my my parents kind of let me do this thing that is weird. And then now I'm like a band guy and that doesn't make sense to most of the the world. But like, you know, so I don't know. I mean, do those things kind of ping pong around your head because you, um, you know, being uh, a father, uh, I guess, a third time over. Man, yeah, I, I, well, I, I was lucky, and Jeff and I, uh, my brothers and I were, were lucky that my parents were very supportive of, you know, whatever we were doing, even with my father saying, you know, the band doesn't make sense economically. Um, 
he's he's still uh, you know in the, at the end of the day he still supported me um, and he definitely supported Jeff in film school and uh, and was very excited that Jeff had chosen to go uh, with that career path um, and always had faith that Jeff would you know make it work and uh, and and so I want to take that and give that to my daughters for sure um, right now mainly yeah. The older girls go to school. Nina goes to work. And so it's just me and Izzy. It's me and a two-year-old right. most of the time. We're not on tour. And so she's already got a full-size drum set, which she loves to play. She can't play the kick drum and the other drums at the same time, but right. soon, soon it'll be all right. But I sit her on the stool, and and then she she wants me to play guitar usually. So I'll play guitar, and she'll play the drums, and she likes to count. She can't count yet. She knows she's like nine two nine two. That's so good. Like the way nine two nine. I don't know. That's one two three for some reason. Sure. But um, uh, and it's amazing. Um, so yeah, I would love it if she wanted to be in a band one day. I'd I'd play drums for her. I'd play guitar for her. I'd do whatever. Uh, I'd love to be in her band one day, or I'd love to just have her have friends and watch their band play or I'll have the band I'll do whatever that'd yeah. be great now if she wants to become a you know she might want to become a cheerleader or a basketball player or a or a physicist I don't know and if she's a physicist or some kind of engineer I'm no help whatsoever um but I would I just can't wait to see what she you know what she's interested in and what she wants to do um and i can't wait to be supportive you know no matter what it is yeah yeah that's cool and and i do think that that is something that really uh is ingrained from the subculture that we came from where it's just like hey man like whatever whatever you're into like i you know your job as a parent at this point is to basically find whatever a a kid is into and then you know be that gasoline to their fire you know or my wife's really good at um you know not just fueling what they're interested in, but bringing things to them or taking them to places um, and giving them as many options as, as you can, giving them these different things that they might be interested in, mm-hmm. uh, exposing them to things um, that, that, yeah, that they might fall in love with. Um, and you never know. Uh, it's, I don't know, my wife's very good at um, including the kids and, and things that I wouldn't, think that they would be interested in or that they wouldn't want to do or whatever but but you never know and um and so yes giving them the opportunities to become interested in things is uh is very important yeah absolutely um the the last thing i want to hit on was the um is, you know, beyond the, cause you know, so many people, uh, especially with the fact of, you know, it's like, Oh, you're eight studio record and you've been around right. for 20 years. Like everyone's just like, dude, why do you still tour? Why do you still yeah. care? Like, yeah, why, I, are, why aren't you famous yet? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like we've, we've shot ourselves in the foot numerous times. There's like, there's a lot of reasons, <laughs> but, right. uh, but, but yeah, but, but, so. but why do you like, you know, there, there's that, that simple notion of like, yes, you know, it, it is your job now. It is this thing that you obviously still feel passionate about um but you know there there is that element especially you know as you get older touring changes it becomes more of an obligation where you're like dude i like hanging with my two-year-old at home playing drums or whatever um so like you know i i guess beyond the simple fact of like yo it pays the bills like you know why um 
is it is it the i guess the new frontiers of stuff that you can express yourself musically is kind of what what keeps you pushing forward or is it the simple act of like you know, i just feel lucky to be in this this situation that i'm in man i think it's a little bit of both um as much as it hurts to leave the family and go on tour um it's still it's still just so ingrained in us um I we wouldn't know what to do if uh if that wasn't part of our lives um and and I, as as much as I really love being in the studio and writing writing songs um there's still something you get from um getting to play them live every night uh I don't know if it's therapeutic or if it's I don't know there's there's something about it sounds cheesy but there's something about connecting with other people and having other people like appreciate what you've done and right there at a, you know at a, at a show it's 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 happening in real time it's it's right there in front of your face but some other things like movies or artwork um you create it kind of by yourself and then someone sees it and appreciates it down the road but you're, you're not you're not right there with them uh you know in the moment as they're as they're listening or taking it in or whatever um and so there's something about playing live shows every night that uh, it would just be hard for me to give up. Um, and I don't ever plan on giving it up. I, I think uh, no matter, even if we struck it rich one day somehow, which is highly unlikely, uh, but even if we financially didn't have to tour, uh, I, I think we'd still do it. I, I don't think we could give it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there there is, to your point, there is that visceral nature of the you know the, the the performance aspect of like you know just hanging out with your friends and then having people you know clearly that are showing up for a show if you're headlining like they like you you know so yeah exactly it's, and you're right it is easier now um with that factor in there uh being an opening band is yeah it's that's stressful um and you're trying to win over people that might actively be not they don't want to like you um, they're trying not to like you and you're trying to win them over. Um, and yeah, that can be tough. And we still, we still get that from time to time. Um, we just did a tour with Frank Turner mm-hmm. and, um, and it's, yeah. And he's extremely positive and extremely energetic and we're, we're not, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, uh, yeah, it's a safe way of putting it. Yeah. We're not. Yeah. And, uh, and so yeah, his crowd, to me, it makes sense why we're on tour with Frank, but to some of his audience members, it doesn't. And, um, and yeah, it's still, it's still stressful even today. Uh, but if it's your own show, it is, there's a certain, there's a certain easiness to it. And there's a certain, uh, connection that makes it very, I don't know, rewarding. Um, and so, so yeah, I, I, it's, I still like hanging out at the bars. Um, I don't drink as much as I used to, but yeah, I like hanging out at the bar and drinking whiskey with random strangers and yeah, talking about music or the band or whatever. Um, and yeah, I, I, I still enjoy that. Um, right. The performance and, and just meeting folks. Um, and yeah, we've got all sorts of the spectrum of, of audience member types is, uh, there's all kinds of folks that show up at the show. So it's, 
it's i don't know it's it's good i, I like it yeah absolutely well and and to to go to your point of like the uh this is just a random experience that i had where it was like you know i saw like a convergent neurosis recently and like you know converge like legendary hardcore band like right. you know neurosis legendary band but like people were watching converge you know play right before them and i was watching people like heckle converge like you know die yeah, yeah and it's in it like to the you know maybe not to the extent of what you experienced at like you know frank turner where people you know weren't like actively right. heckling you but it, it just goes to show it's like dude no matter what like you can put art out there and be like oh, man we've been doing this for 20 years and people like us and it's cool and there's always going to be that one person in the back of the room being like yo you suck oh 100 and that's and that's that's part of it. That's part of what you have to accept if you're going to, you know, do this job. It's always going to exist no matter what. Uh, <laughs> right. Someone's always going to talk shit. <laughs> totally. Be like, hey, 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 Ben, why don't you stop? Uh, why don't you stop uh, screaming so much? And you're like, dude, that's just my voice. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Hey, whatever. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Yeah. And you don't you don't worry about reviews. Um, you definitely don't go online and read anything. <laughs> yeah. uh, you just do what you do and you, you get in the van or on the bus and you just go. Um, and you try to have as good a time as you can. Um, and yeah, yeah, you can't worry about, you can't worry about that small shit. Nah, nah, yeah, that's just, that's just fleeting. That's for sure. Yeah. But, uh, Ben, thank you so much. Dude. This has honestly been really fun for me. I, I, I hope you enjoyed it in some capacity as well, but yeah, I did. I did. I, I, I actually had a lot of fun. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for letting me be on the, on the podcast. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Ben is the best. I loved that. And uh, seriously, if you haven't listened to Lucero, do yourself a favor. I would suggest that you start with the record that much further west, even though it's you know one of their earlier releases. And uh, you know, frankly, all of their records subsequent to that are all really, really good. But that much further west is just like it hits this beautiful sweet spot of like indie rock punk you know some hardcore ethic like just oh man i love that record so so much and uh you need to do that okay and uh, thank you very much to uh michelle his publicist for setting this up i really really do genuinely appreciate it and uh yeah i hope you enjoyed that and what do we have next week we have a change of pace because that's what this show is all about we have Louis aponte who is the drummer for jesus piece who put out one of my favorite records of this year like, this is a slab of unrelenting hardcore that uh, Southern Nord put out, and I just, uh, man, I love this record. And uh, I wanted to have uh, Luis on here, and it uh, worked out. It was perfect. And actually, his significant other appeared on the show, I don't know, maybe a year and a half or so ago. Um, Melissa, she plays in a band called Small Circle. So, uh, yeah, that's what we got. You know, familial connections, right? <laughs> Anyways, thank you very much, everybody, for listening. And until next week, like I always encourage you, be safe, everybody. Don't forget, try out Musician because you've always wanted to learn how to play a musical instrument, but you probably didn't know where to start. Let Musician be the app of your personal music dreams. It's the best way to learn, practice, and master an instrument, and it listens to you play and gives you feedback on your accuracy and timing. Become the musician you've always wanted to be. Download Musician for free in your app store today, okay? Now, for real, goodbye. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.